0: Hello, I'm Andy. Welcome to the first episode of the Federal Andy Podcast. Going into this, I asked myself Am I really doing this? I'm not a politician, a lawyer, a former prosecutor, or a professional journalist. What difference could I possibly make? There must be millions of podcasts. What can I say that hasn't already been said? I decided that the only way to know the answers to these questions for certain was to just do it. And so, here I am. And you're here too. Thank you. I will try to make sure your time is well spent. In searching for a topic for this first episode, I looked for something that was of interest to most regardless of party affiliation or lack of party affiliation. One thing that kept surfacing was money in politics. So, that's what this episode is about. Specifically, how all of this money in politics came to be. I've always thought that this sounded a lot like bribery. And isn't bribery illegal? Apparently, It depends on who you are. Black's Law Dictionary defines bribery as the offering, giving, receiving, or soliciting of any item of value to influence the actions of an official or other person in charge of a public or legal duty. With regard to governmental operations, essentially, bribery is, quote, Corrupt solicitation, acceptance, or transfer of value in exchange for official action. With that in mind, let's get started. Episode 1. Money in Politics. The Supreme Court of the United States has been in the news a lot lately, and perhaps for good reason. Public trust in the court has dropped considerably in recent years, and the court only has itself to blame for this decline. Transparency certainly is not one of the court's priorities. Live broadcasting of proceedings, for instance, is not permitted and use of the court's non-merits or motions docket, which has been dubbed the shadow docket, is calling into question the motives of the court. A shadow docket is when the court issues emergency orders or summary decisions without oral argument. The shadow docket is a departure from the normal proceedings of the court and as such causes concern. One of the biggest issues for Americans today is money in politics. We frequently hear about members of Congress attending fundraisers or of them being on the road campaigning. Often these things happen when they aren't running to keep their seat in the near future. Some sources say members of Congress may spend as much as 50% of their time and often more than that fundraising. That means taxpayers are only getting half of their time at best. I saw one report that stated senators spend two-thirds of their last two years of their term raising money. It's become a big business and has taken the focus off of We the People. According to the Center for Responsive Politics, almost $14 billion was spent on the 2020 races. Research shows that in most instances, the better-funded candidate wins, and thus the impetus for raising more money than your competitors. A couple of decisions by the Supreme Court over the years have contributed to this, and we're going to take a look into those decisions in this episode. You may have heard the sayings, money is free speech, and that corporations are people. You can thank the nation's top court for those. It all started back in 1976 with Buckley v. Valeo. This decision maintains limits on the amount individuals, including billionaires, can donate directly to a candidate but states that the same billionaire who has limits on donating directly to candidates can buy advertising for a candidate which is pretty much unlimited. What's the issue, you may wonder? Well, which person is going to get the attention of the candidate? The individual who donated $100 directly or the billionaire who bought $10 million in advertising for the candidate. Here's a quote from the court's decision that kind of sums it all up. Quote, the concept that government may restrict the speech of some elements of our society in order to enhance the relative voice of others is wholly foreign to the First Amendment, which was designed to secure the widest possible dissemination of information from diverse and antagonistic sources. End quote. What does that mean? It would seem the Supreme Court thought that a direct contribution from an individual of a relatively small amount would create the possibility of corruption, but an advertising package valued at millions of dollars that was created and aired on behalf of that candidate would not. The failure of the Supreme Court to see the connection between the benefits of the advertising to the candidate and the chain of communication and favoritism that could create is baffling. Up next is First National Bank of Boston versus Bilotti from 1978. In an attempt to protect the referendum process from any undue corporate influence, the Massachusetts legislature passed a law that prohibited corporations from contributing money that was intended to influence the vote in their favor. Banking organizations and corporations didn't like this law and challenged it. The law was intended to protect voters, but the Supreme Court struck it down, despite a couple of protections the law specifically provided to voters. Massachusetts wanted to make sure that the votes of actual voters had meaningful input in the electoral process and that shareholders and individuals invested in these corporations didn't have their funds put toward politicians and legislation that were not in their interests. The Supreme Court found that no evidence existed that corporations were smothering other points of view Or were reducing confidence citizens held in government, or were undermining the small d democratic process in any way. Further, the court felt that the concerns of shareholders and investors in the Massachusetts legislation was too narrow, as well as too broad at the same time. How is that even possible? Here's a snippet from the decision. Quote, it is the type of speech indispensable to decision-making in a democracy, and this is not less true because the speech comes from a corporation rather than an individual. End quote. In this move, the court removed protections that would have prevented corporations from potentially having overwhelming power over voters and opened the door to a later case known as Citizens United, which we'll address shortly. This brings us to the nineteen eighty-six nonprofit case of the Federal Election Commission versus Massachusetts Citizens for Life. Section four hundred forty one B of the Federal Election Campaign Act prohibited corporations from using internal treasury funds to pay for anything related to a federal election. Such monies had to be held in a separately funded account that was financed solely by voluntary contributions intended for such purposes. Massachusetts Citizens for Life, a nonprofit corporation, sent out a newsletter periodically, and one in particular was generated as a special edition with a headline on the front page that read, Everything You Need to Know to Vote Pro Life. This was prohibited by Section 441B, and the court needed to decide if that section was constitutional or not. In this instance, the court acknowledged that corporations were able to use their many available resources to gain, quote, an unfair advantage in the political marketplace, end quote. And it further recognized that the treasury funds of a business corporation Quote, Are not an indication of popular support for the corporation's political ideas. They reflect instead the economically motivated decisions of investors and customers. However, in its decision, the court tossed out all of that because it believed that as a nonprofit with the motive of encouraging and distributing certain political beliefs, It didn't pose a threat to the political process because they were not a for-profit corporation, despite being a corporation itself. At first glance, this decision might seem tame. After all, what's wrong with a small non-profit corporation distributing a newsletter to people who subscribe to it? The problem is, not all non-profits are small corporations. How about Planned Parenthood, the National Rifle Association, or the slew of other corporations organized to further a specific political cause? Some of them have huge budgets and vast resources. Of course, these large nonprofit corporations have the ability to corrupt our political processes, a fact that the Supreme Court ignored in this decision, and a fact that opened the door wide for massive nonprofit corporations to wield incredible power over our legislators, the bills they write, and the ability of elected officials to think independently. Up next on the list is Austin versus Michigan Chamber of Commerce from 1990. The Michigan legislature passed the Michigan Campaign Finance Act which restricted the use of corporate treasury funds for candidates running for state office, whether in support or in opposition of the candidate. Election-related expenditures were limited to a separate fund that could only be used for political purposes. The Chamber of Commerce of the state of Michigan contested the law, asking the court to determine if Michigan had a compelling state interest in restricting corporate spending on state elections. In this decision, the court acknowledged that there was, quote, a serious danger that corporate political expenditures will undermine the integrity of the election process. End quote. The Chamber of Commerce was indeed a non-profit organization, which had been a consideration in previous court decisions that ignored the danger such entities presented. But nonetheless, this decision mentioned many instances where the Chamber of Commerce was a danger to the electoral process. The bottom line here is if one entity is an individual of modest means that works for a company and supports Candidate A, and another individual is a billionaire who owns a majority of stock in that same company, but supports the opposing Candidate B. With the sole defining difference being unequal power related to financial wealth, the billionaire can mute the efforts of the individual, minimizing their ability to spread the word. Huge sums of money have the ability to undermine and even destroy the electoral process. It does not matter how dedicated one party may be, or how extreme their efforts are, if the opposing supporter has massive amounts of money to spend, that alone can negate the efforts of the party without access to equivalent funding. Access to money alone can alter the outcome of elections. Now, we come to a really big one. Citizens United versus FEC from 2010. The Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act of 2002 prohibited corporations and labor unions from spending funds from their general treasuries to make independent expenditures in support of or in opposition of a particular candidate. Also prohibited in this act were electioneering communications, which mentioned a candidate running for federal office within 30 days prior to a primary election or 60 days prior to a general election, which were televised over the air or on cable or satellite media formats. Corporations and labor unions were required to establish separate segregated funds to pay for these communications. This included activities through political action committees affiliated with a corporation, or labor union citizens united was a nonprofit corporation that challenged the bipartisan campaign reform act of 2002 the decision of the supreme court in citizens united versus fec was a direct contradiction to the court's decision in austin versus michigan chamber of commerce in citizens united the court stated that quote the government may not suppress political speech on the basis of the speaker's corporate identity. No sufficient governmental interest justifies limits on the political speech of non-profit or for-profit corporations. Incredibly, the court also stated that censoring corporations has muffled the voice that best represents the most significant segments of the economy, end quote, and added that the act of restricting corporate political speech has resulted in the electorate being quote, deprived of information, knowledge, and opinion vital to its function. End quote. Further, it was noted quote, the court has thus rejected the argument that political speech of corporations or other associations should be treated differently under the First Amendment simply because such associations are not natural persons. End quote. And the court continued quote, On certain topics, corporations may possess valuable expertise. Leaving them the best equipped to point out errors or fallacies in speech of all sorts, including the speech of candidates and elected officials. End quote. Without question, this is one of the Supreme Court's worst decisions of all time. It basically grants all of the benefits of personhood to a corporation without any of the responsibilities of personhood. Have you ever wondered why it seems no one goes to prison when a corporation breaks the law? It's because corporations are not people. They are entities that are made up of an individual or individuals. Corporations don't have opinions. Their opinions are those of an individual or individuals affiliated with the corporation. And those individuals all have the right of free speech, individually, as natural persons, already. All of these individuals may speak on their own behalf. The corporation they are affiliated with does not have the ability or power to speak on its own or state anything that is original to the corporation. In short, the corporations cannot add a new idea to the discussion, nor can it say anything that individual members of the corporation cannot say on their own behalf. What this actually does is increase the ability of the individuals who control the corporation to spread their message far and wide, much further than they could on their own. It gives these individuals supreme free speech rights that other citizens don't have. It deprives ordinary citizens of the same abilities corporations have been granted. It should be noted that corporations have benefits that ordinary citizens do not have. Limited liability for one and the ability to increase their economic viability through perpetual life. If not regulated, this allows corporations to dominate the economy and even control the electoral process. I should note that some of these corporations also pay essentially zero taxes. The result of this has been the decaying of public faith that our elected representatives work for us and maintain their seats as public servants thanks to the public and not to the corporations who have the biggest bank accounts. In the dissenting opinion in Citizens United, it was written, It might also be added that corporations have no consciences, no beliefs, no feelings, no thoughts, no desires corporations help structure and facilitate the activities of human beings to be sure and their personhood often serves as a useful legal fiction but they are not themselves members of we the people by whom and for whom our constitution was established end quote when the founding fathers of our country drafted the First Amendment, do you suppose they were concerned about individual people's rights to free speech? Or the rights of the mega-huge, consolidated, tax-evading corporation? Here's yet another case to consider. Arizona Free Enterprise Club v. Bennett from 2011. Do you remember As Scam? It was a sting operation that caught Arizona lawmakers on camera taking cash bribes from phony casino operators who pretended to want Arizona lawmakers to pass legislation to legalize gambling in the state. As a result, in 1991, seven lawmakers were convicted and literally one-tenth of the Arizona legislature resigned. As scam left a scar on politics in Arizona for many years, and since then, legislation loosening regulations on undisclosed contributions, known as dark money, have raised concerns that something like as scam could happen again. One of the actions taken to prevent another such episode was a referendum passed by voters that created a public financing system for their elections. It was not mandatory that candidates participate, but those who did received public funds, and this allowed for further matching funds of up to twice the original amount if an opposing candidate who had private financing had expenditures that exceeded the initial amount the publicly financed candidate received. So, If Candidate C opted in to public financing and opposing Candidate D, who didn't opt in, ended up spending more than the funds that had been made available to Candidate C, Candidate C would receive funds to match what Candidate D had spent, up to double the initial amount. The folks who challenged this said the matching funds penalized their speech and burdened their ability to fully exercise their First Amendment rights. So, in its wisdom, the Supreme Court ruled that the program that allowed for matching funds created a considerable burden on political speech and didn't withstand scrutiny as far as the First Amendment was concerned. Further, the majority of the court decided that this Arizona law was a burden to privately financed candidates and their supporters because it made them choose between having unlimited free speech or risk having their opponent receive additional funding. Yes, you heard that right. Let me repeat that for you. The Supreme Court ruled that the program that allowed for matching funds created a considerable burden on political speech and didn't withstand scrutiny as far as the First Amendment was concerned. Further, the majority of the court decided that this Arizona law was a burden to privately financed candidates and their supporters because it made them choose between having unlimited free speech or risk having their opponent receive additional funding. The court concluded that providing the publicly financed candidate with additional funding was an infringement on the First Amendment rights of the privately funded candidate. This is completely wrong. The additional public funding improves the ability of the candidate with public funding to practice free speech, but it certainly does not limit the free speech of the candidate with private funding. Ultimately, what this decision has accomplished is it has made it more difficult to offset the influence of big money in our elections, ensuring that the door remains wide open to the flow of corporate and billionaire money compromising and influencing our election process. Last, but certainly not least, we come to 2014's McCutcheon versus Federal Election Commission. In this case, the issue was the restriction on the overall amount that could be contributed by an individual to all political candidates and or committees within a one-year period. McCutcheon, the appellant, argued that the limits prevented the ability to contribute to multiple candidates and committees that he supported. The court decided that the restriction was unconstitutional and threw open the warehouse loading dock door allowing millionaires and billionaires to have special influence over elections. The justification for removing the limits on individual donations to political candidates was that the sole compelling reason for the limit was to prevent corruption or the appearance of corruption, and that placing limits on contributions didn't actually serve that need. This ignorant decision by the court demonstrated its failure to comprehend that preventing corruption is not the sole reason to place limits on campaign contributions. How about the need to prevent an individual from having too much influence over a legislator because of their campaign contributions? Or how about ensuring that all citizens are able to have equal time with their legislators regardless of their wealth and ability to donate money to candidates who might eventually represent them. Apparently, according to this decision by the Supreme Court, it would be perfectly okay for a billionaire to literally purchase all of the ad time on every over-the-air and cable network in an election year, which would eliminate any competition from advertising at all, because the rights of that sole billionaire supersede what would be in the best interests of the American people. Money is not free speech. Money stifles free speech. Because whoever has the most money gets the time and attention of the candidate or legislator. And the citizen without the money to buy the attention is largely ignored. And it should be clear that corporations are not people. I've yet to see a certificate of live birth for a corporation. What these decisions do is allow wealthy executives and CEOs to have more influence over elections due to their ability to inject huge sums of money into the process quickly by writing a check. The average citizen is not able to do this, giving those with access to big bank accounts more influence over the electoral process. And as mentioned earlier, some of these corporations pay little to no taxes. If this leaves you feeling like the nation's highest court has repeatedly, over the years, ruled in favor of corporations and wealthy individuals at the expense of we the people, You would not be wrong in coming to this conclusion. And I think it's pretty obvious that these decisions have resulted in huge amounts of money flowing into politicians' bank accounts. And the silent expectation of the giver that the recipient will be appreciative and respond in kind with legislation and their vote at an appropriate time is this not bribery? The very people who will have to change this are the same people who benefit from it. They will likely only do so after their constituents demand the changes be made, after huge public outcry, and at the risk of losing their seats if they don't act. If you're still with me at this point, Thank you for your time. I would be grateful to you if you'd subscribe and share this podcast to let your friends and family know about it. You can also find me on Twitter at FederalAndy. Be happy, safe, and healthy, and I'll hopefully be talking to you again next week. Thanks again for listening.